Welcome back to Blush. My name is Hiva, and this is the show where we talk about all the things that might make you blush. You know, the original concept behind the name was, you know, like when you have a crush on someone and you blush, or when you talk about sex and you blush, things like that. You know, it's supposed to be a show about dating and interpersonal relationships. But The concept of blushing is actually broader than that. There's such a range of emotions that can cause the physiological sensation of blushing, excitement, anger, a sense of accomplishment, anxiety, all of these things can cause blushing. And I think this is such a strong metaphor for this podcast as a whole, right? Because it's more than just a dating show. We don't just talk about dating. We don't just talk about other types of relationships. We actually talk about a variety of topics that affect how you are within yourself. Because ultimately, the bedrock of every single relationship in your life is the relationship that you have with yourself. So just like how a variety of emotions can trigger blushing, a variety of things affect how you show up within yourself and ultimately how you show up in relationships. So last week, I had a really interesting experience. I was getting ready to do something that I thought was the right move. It felt right to me. It was scary, but it did feel right. And then I had a moment where I had this thought of, no, don't do it. And I thought to myself, fuck, is that my intuition? Is that my intuition telling me not to do this? And so I get into this spiral. My heart's racing. I'm freaking out. Like, should I do it? Should I not do it? I have no idea how to move forward. And I decided to Google it as one does, right? And basically, I googled what's the difference between anxiety and intuition. And this is something that's always really interested me. And it's something I've talked about with a lot of people. And one thing that I've heard in the past is that anxiety is kind of negative. It's about negative things. And intuition tends to be more positive focused. But honestly, I don't know that I think that that's true. I think that sometimes your intuition can warn you about things or can tell you not to do something. So that in and of itself didn't help me. But I was surprised that I did find some really helpful things on Google. And a lot of it seems to be surrounding physiological sensations. So intuition is calm and relaxed, whereas anxiety has a lot of physiological symptoms like heart racing, palpitations, adrenaline, possibly even stomach pains or sweating. And so I was really leaning into this when I was having this experience. Every time I was having the thought of don't do it, my heart would race you know, I had palpitations, I had just these physiological anxiety symptoms. But every time I lean into, this is the right move, it's okay to feel feel fear, but this is the right thing for you, I would calm down. It was just this intense calmness all over my body. Another thing I read was that anxiety comes from fear. 
Now, this makes it really tricky when you're in a situation where your intuition might be pointing you towards something that's new and expansive, which tends to come with fear and uncertainty. But I think the difference here is that anxiety more often than not is a reaction to a perceived threat. So things to look for are thoughts like, what if this happens? What if that happens? Now, you can have intuition that is kind of a warning, but it won't come to you in that what if, what if language. And this last point, I think, is what really differentiates the two. Anxiety is more intense than intuition which honestly is kind of fucked up, right? Shouldn't intuition be more intense? Like it's a lot easier to ignore your intuition than it is to ignore anxiety. Anxiety is really demanding. Intuition is more of a detached feeling. Again, seems kind of unfair. It would better serve us, I think, if your intuition was so demanding and hard to ignore, but it tends to be the opposite. You know, last year I was getting ready to do something and I had this intuitive ping that kind of said, this could not end well. And that's something that sounds like anxiety, but the difference was that it wasn't all consuming. It wasn't, I had no physiological sensations. You know, my heart wasn't racing. There wasn't fear attached to it. It was just this kind of deep knowing that this could all kind of go to shit. And I ended up ignoring it, which in many ways I'm grateful that I did because I think at the time it was the right move, even though that intuitive thing turned out to be 100% correct. I think it illustrates this interesting thing where your intuition can actually be negative. It can be a warning, but it won't have that fear and it won't be at the forefront of your mind. It won't be demanding all of your attention in that minute. Another thing I've read, and I don't know how much I agree with this, but I do think more often than not it's true, is that anxiety is always forward thinking. Now, again, I do think that you can have intuition about the future, But intuition does tend to be more in the present moment, I guess, more often than not. But anxiety is always forward thinking. Or is it? I don't know. I actually really don't know if that's true. You can have anxiety about the moment that you're in, right? I don't know. I'm no expert here. Really, we're all figuring this out together. It's just something I read. But I do think bringing yourself back to the present moment is always going to be helpful and will always calm anxiety so that you can actually try to listen for your intuition. So I do want to share this exercise. We've talked about it before on the podcast, but I'll say it again here. It's a 5-4-3-2-1 grounding technique. So you want to acknowledge or list or think of five things that you can see in the present moment and then four things that you can touch Um, And if there's nothing around you to touch, think of like the clothes on your skin, the breeze or the way the air feels, uh, the floor that you're standing on, the chair underneath you, things like that. Three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell, and one thing that you can taste. 
So just going through that, it's easy to remember five, four, three, two, one. It's something you do at any moment to just bring yourself back to present. All right. I want to switch gears and talk about the holidays a little bit. As you know, Thanksgiving is coming up next week and Thanksgiving can be a triggering time for people for a lot of reasons. It's a time where we're often around our families, which is triggering for pretty much everyone I know. And also there's a lot of food stuff that people get anxious about. You know, the food tends to be pretty rich. If you have any sort of unhealthy relationship with food, which so many of us do, it can definitely be triggering for that reason. So I'll talk about the physical side of it first, just to get it out of the way. Really, the number one thing I have to say here is just give yourself permission to enjoy food. One day of eating indulgently is not going to do anything. So just lean into it. Enjoy your favorite things. Don't think about it so much. You know, don't feel like you have to work out to earn the right to eat or you have to starve yourself all day or any of these things. It's not like that. Just enjoy. Just nourish yourself. Just give yourself permission to feel the joy that can come with food. A few things I will say though, you know, in the midst of eating stuffing and turkey and, you know, heaps of super rich foods, make sure to get some fiber, get some greens, you know, have a little kale, have a little leaf, dark leafy greens, whatever it may be before you go to the heavier items. People tend to digest better by layering in terms of richness. So you want to do raws and greens before you move on to heavier, richer things. Um, Make sure to get some probiotics that day. And also, if you have digestive issues, having some bitters or some digestive enzymes can really help. I tend to prefer bitters, and honestly, I just prefer having a handful of some bitter greens before having a heavier meal. So yeah, that's that on that. I don't want to dwell on it too much. I don't think it's that important, but I did want to address it because a lot of people do ask me about it. Now moving on to the heavier things, having an emotionally healthy holiday. And I think a lot of this especially when navigating family dynamics, navigating, you know, these trickier relationships is really boundaries. So we're going to talk about boundaries for a little bit now. A boundary is a limit or a space between you and someone else. It's a clear place of where you begin and the other person ends. So you know that expression, fences make good neighbors, I think that's what the expression is. I'm not 100% sure. Something like that. A fence is a type of boundary, right? It's a physical boundary between where your land ends and your neighbor's land begins. And it makes for good neighbors because you know exactly whose property is whose. You know who has to take care of what. You know not to go on each other's property without being invited to do so. The same thing applies for emotional boundaries. They make for healthy relationships. They're a guideline for how people can treat you. They protect you and they protect the relationship. 
And really healthy boundaries preserve your sense of autonomy and help you make decisions that are authentic to yourself instead of being influenced by others. And they also help prevent burnout and resentment in relationships. So there are different types of boundaries. Boundaries can range from being rigid to non-existent. So if your boundaries are too rigid, you might have difficulty trusting people and letting people in. Some signs that you might have rigid boundaries are that you're quick to cut people out of your life and your relationships tend to be a little bit more surface level. You don't get too deep with anyone. On the other end of the spectrum, your boundaries might be weak or even non-existent if you don't ask for what you need, you allow others to mistreat you, you have people-pleasing tendencies, you're unsure of what matters to you, you crave external validation. And a kind of weird telltale sign that just seems to hold is you share intimate or personal information early on in relationships with people. I mean, it's great to share, but if you tend to just open up and share really, really early on, that seems to be highly correlated with someone who does not have boundaries or doesn't have strong enough boundaries. Now, most of us have a mix of rigid and weak or non-existent boundaries, Um, For myself, I tend to not have boundaries or not have strong enough of boundaries. And then I'm hurt, I'm upset, and I overcompensate with boundaries that are too rigid. I can be kind of quick to cut people out of my life. And really, it's not their fault. It actually comes back to me because I never put up boundaries in the first place. Also, a lot of us have different types of boundaries in different areas of our lives. You might find that you have really strong boundaries in your romantic relationships, but weak boundaries with friends or strong boundaries with family, but no boundaries when it comes to work. It can be different in different parts of your life. But ultimately, we want to strive for healthy boundaries. We want to be able to directly ask for what we want or need. We want to be able to say no without feeling guilty, while also letting people in and allowing people to see us. So how do we set boundaries? First, the most important thing is to really self-reflect and figure out what's important to you. Then you want to start small. Like with all things in life, practice on less important areas so that you can build the skill by the time it gets to more difficult boundaries. It's a lot easier, I'm trying to think of something simple that's not that heavy. Let's say your name is Jennifer, people tend to call you Jen. You don't like it when people call you Jen. It's a lot easier the next time you get coffee to tell the barista that you prefer Jennifer to Jen than it is to tell your mom that she needs to call you less often, right? But practicing by just telling people that you don't have deep relationships with what you want to be called, that's practicing setting a boundary and it becomes It's like a muscle, you know, you exercise it, you work it, it gets stronger. And then when you have to have that conversation with your mom, it becomes a lot easier. 
you want to try to set boundaries early on in relationships. Now, this is ideal for new relationships. Obviously, you can't retroactively go back and set boundaries in relationships that you're already in. For example, parental relationships. That is a trickier situation. Personally, I mean, I think that's the hardest area to set boundaries. But when possible, try to set them early on. And also know that you might feel shame, especially in setting these boundaries with pre-existing boundaryless relationships, right? It's going to feel a lot harder. And shame is such a normal response because your body thinks that you're doing something to upset someone. When you're not, ultimately you're honoring the relationship by doing this, but it's going to feel difficult and that's okay. Communication is so important here. Last episode, we talked all about communication. Go back to that episode and re-listen to it. All of the pillars of communication apply with setting boundaries. And the last and most important thing is to be consistent. Boundaries need maintenance. Boundaries may change. I mean, think of the fence, right? The neighbor's fence. Eventually, there's going to be holes in the fence. You're going to have to do some maintenance on the fence. You might even find that you and your neighbor get along really well and your kids are best friends and they like to play. You might put a little door in the fence. You might have an opening that you can open from time to time so that you can, you know, have this big, massive yard for the kids to play badminton in. I don't know. Boundaries change. Boundaries should be flexible. Boundaries need maintenance boundaries need consistency. The last thing that I want to say on boundaries is to make sure to honor other people's boundaries. It's really easy to just set your own boundaries, but it's a two-way street. You have to also honor other people's. And try not to be offended. People's boundaries have a lot more to do with themselves than they have to do with you. And sometimes We just aren't giving people what they need. And sometimes we can't give people what they need. And that's also okay. You know, I am pretty open about the fact that I struggle with depression on and off all the time. And as a result, I can be quite flaky. I cancel plans a lot. It's not because I mean to be an asshole. It's not because I want to be selfish. It's not because I'm inconsiderate of other people's time. It's because I go in and out of deep depression. And when I'm deep in my depression, I really just have the hardest time doing anything. So I might make plans with someone when I feel great. And then the day comes around and it's just a struggle to get out of bed. And I know a lot of people with whom that's really not okay. They need someone in their life who can be more consistent. They need someone who isn't flaky. And that's okay. I can't be mad at that. I just can't give that. So I'm not offended by those people, you know, kind of exiting me out of their lives or us not having as deep of a relationship because it is what it is. They have certain boundaries. I can't seem to meet them. And that's life. I hope that's helpful. I hope you gain something from that. And I do want to say, 
If you're around your family this holiday, this Thanksgiving specifically, and you find yourself really triggered, I almost hesitate to say this because it sounds kind of asshole-ish, but try to be grateful for it. Oftentimes when we're doing inner work, it can be hard to see what we actually need to address, what our childhood traumas are. And we all have childhood trauma, by the way. You could have grown up in the most loving, caring, close-knit, supportive family, but we all have family trauma. I mean, childhood trauma. Because as children, we're highly sensitive and often we misinterpret things. Things can leave an imprint on us that were meant in the most sincere, kind ways. So when I say childhood trauma, I don't mean major trauma. I mean just normal, run-of-the-mill childhood trauma. So I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, when we're doing this internal work, oftentimes it's hard to draw up where the trauma is coming from. But being around our family and it being triggering is kind of this gift because it points to where you need to look at and where you can do healing work to come out on the other side. So as much as it might suck to go through it, I think it's actually kind of a gift to see, to assess what still needs healing. And also, if you don't want to be somewhere for the holidays, you don't have to be. I think you really should take your own mental health into account and make the decision that's best for you. Because at the end of the day, you're responsible for yourself. So weigh it out. Weigh out the pros and cons. And take your own feelings into account. Speaking of feelings, I want to discuss a few emotions and what they might mean. I was thinking about this the other day because I have a tendency to be very irritable. And I realized that every time I'm irritable, it actually signals an unmet need. Now, it used to be a physical need because I have a history of disordered eating. And so I would be irritable all the time when I wasn't eating enough. Oftentimes, that's another physical need, not getting enough sleep. But a lot of the time, it's an unmet emotional need. So if you find yourself feeling irritable, dig deep and see what need isn't being met. And then see how you can meet that need. Do you have to express something to your partner, to your friends, to your family? Do you have to ask for something? Is it something where you can self-soothe, you can provide it to yourself? Another emotion, anger. Now, anger is actually a secondary emotion that tends to mask either fear or sadness. We get angry because it creates a sense of control and power in the face of vulnerability and uncertainty. So if you find yourself feeling angry, you want to really get quiet within yourself. Take a few deep breaths and ask yourself, what does the anger represent? Now, anger can be a sign that your boundaries are being crossed. But first, you really need to work off the anger, maybe like a workout, screaming into a pillow, 
punching a pillow, something that's safe, but that just gets that energy out. And then you want to quiet down and see what's beneath the anchor. Another emotion that comes up a lot is fear. Fear really represents uncertainty. Fear can often be a really good thing because it could point towards expansion. And in general, with any type of fear, what helps is exposure therapy. So having repeated exposure in incremental doses until you acclimate. So a kind of basic example is if you're afraid of heights like I am, what really helps overcome that fear is to expose yourself to heights, but in incremental doses. So first stand on a chair, then stand on a table, then you know go to a 10th floor and look down, then go to a higher building, then look down, do hikes of increasing height. You know, eventually you can jump out of an airplane. I don't know. But the idea is you repeat yourself consistently in incrementally increasing doses. That's repetitive. You get it. Um, it's a little bit different with emotional fears. Let's say you have um, social anxiety, you know, social fears, which a lot of us do. Start by hanging out with one person, then two people, then three people. You know, don't just throw yourself into a concert. Do the incremental and repeated consistent exposure. The last emotion that I want to discuss is disgust. Disgust is usually a sign that you're either morally or ethically opposed to something. It could also point to an area where you need to do shadow work. So maybe someone is portraying a trait that disgusts you. It's possible that that's actually a trait that you're suppressing within yourself, that you're not acknowledging within yourself. And so when you see someone else exhibiting it, you have that kind of disgust response. And shadow work is really helpful there. One last thing I want to say on that is you can accept something while also working on it. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the internet, on Instagram about accepting your whole self. And then there's pushback of like, okay, but what if I have this thing about me that I know isn't great that I know I need to work on? Well, both can be true at the same time, but you have to first accept it to then be able to work on it. And an example I always give is my eating disorder issues. I used to get so triggered by any sort of insinuation that I might have an eating disorder because I wasn't accepting it. I was so in denial about it. And then when I did accept it, it's not like I just said, okay, I have an eating disorder, that's that, and that's how I live my life. No, we can all agree that an eating disorder is not an okay way to live your life. You really should be changing it. But the first step is to accept it, and you can accept it and acknowledge it while also working on it. So that's that. I'm going to keep this episode nice and short. I just kind of wanted to go over all of the things that could be affecting you over this holiday or in general in life whenever you listen to this episode. I do want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you guys for leaving reviews. 
Um, if you gained anything from this episode, if anything I said resonated, I would love it if you could leave a review on iTunes. And if you know anyone who would benefit from anything that you heard in this episode, please share this with them. Before we sign off, I want to do a cheesy little cool down. So if you're somewhere where you can close your eyes, Go ahead and close your eyes. If you can't, it's okay. You can still do this. Now take a deep breath in, slowly pulling air in. Now hold it in. Continue to hold. And now slowly exhale. Keep exhaling. Keep exhaling. Okay, now take another breath in, hold it, now exhale, have a wonderful Thanksgiving, have a wonderful week, we'll see you here next week, love you guys.